Hey there, I'm Jodie and you're listening to the Empathy Talks podcast brought to you by Circle In. If you care about caring, then this podcast is for you. We're talking to well-known CEOs and executives to find out what empathetic leadership really looks like, what it means to them and how they're creating an empathetic culture. We'll unpack why empathy is a critical leadership skill and why having it in life and in business is more important than ever. So let's get into it and unearth why empathy is so much more than a buzzword. Circling acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Wadawurrung people, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. So today I would love to welcome David Shane to the podcast. David is a partner at OI Ventures, an Aussie-based venture capital firm with a portfolio of over 30 startups, including Circlin. He is one of the best connected venture capitalists in Australia and is living proof that you don't have to be proficient in technology to build a tech unicorn. That's right. He built and sold Australia's first unicorn over 21 years ago and is now passionate about supporting the tech community and partnering with great founders. He is absolutely someone who embodies empathy in every aspect of his life, and I am so looking forward to unpacking this with him today. So with that, I would love to welcome David. Thanks for joining us. So welcome, David. Hey, Jodie. Always good to see you. Always great to see you. Hey, let's start. I'd love for you to tell us about your leadership journey and specifically what does empathetic leadership mean to you? So uh, I, uh, to me, the two, the, the two key things are respect for the person and respect for the role. And uh, you know, leadership to me was always about understanding that everybody is, a, is an important part of uh, an organization and not putting any team ahead of another team. You know, so my original business was in the distribution uh, industry. And, uh, you know, there were people who were involved in packing boxes, people who were involved in, you know, sitting on reception, answering the telephone call. And uh, it was always understanding that for us to succeed, every part of that organization had to, had to deliver. And the best way to get people to deliver was to make sure that everybody in that organization really knew and believed that their role was absolutely respected. Yeah, and I love that. I love how you've said, you know, the balancing between the person and the role. But tell me, obviously, you know, you've been in business a long time. Did empathetic, empathetic leadership come naturally to you or do you feel it's a skill that you've learnt over time? When you start being in business for a very long time, you tell me you're an old guy now. <laughs> no. <laughs> but but uh, I have been in business and I am, but thank you. Um, so I... Uh, I think to me it did come naturally because I always sort of thought to myself, I want to put myself in that other person's shoes and what would I want and how would I want to be valued and appreciated? Because I think I did come from a job where I, my, my role was completely undervalued and I felt I really hated going to work. Uh, I don't know if, any, if you've had a job where it almost feels like someone's pushing you out the door to go to work. Yeah, I never felt like that when I had my job at Pricewaterhouse because I really felt valued and appreciated. Whereas my first job in Australia, I felt undervalued, uh, not recognised for for the contribution that I was making. So I always figured that if I would ever hire anybody, I would never want anybody to feel the way I felt in that job. 
So I always made up my mind that I was going to ensure that people loved coming to work every day and that, you know, if they were adding value, they would be, you know, they would be valued and appreciated for, for the contribution that they were making to the company. And I know it's, um, if I can speak from a personal experience in my um, working with you over, you know, the last five years, every single day you make us feel valued and appreciated. So, you know, a huge thank you. So I, I truly believe that empathetic leadership, you know, is one of your greatest skills. Um, tell us, why do you think it's become an essential, like, cap- leadership capability? And do you think it's changed as a result of COVID? I, I think that leadership is... You know, and I, I hate to say it because I feel it, it shouldn't be. I think that, yeah, probably in my career, the last couple of years have been probably the toughest time ever to attract, engage, and retain people. And, uh, yeah, the balance the balance of power has probably moved, to, you know, from an, an employer to an employee. And, uh, and I really feel that, you know, a good leader shouldn't need shouldn't need circumstances to change the way people are, are regarded. And I've, I've always believed, yeah, funny enough, by the way, I always say to South Africans who arrive in Australia, I said, if I can give you a lesson, there's one thing you need to understand. In South Africa, people say, I have 30 people who work for me. In Australia, you have 30 people who work with you. And it's that one word that makes a massive, massive difference. And I really believe that, yeah. Any good leader should recognize that they don't have all the skills to run their own organization and they, they require the support of a, of a whole team of people to be able to, to, to deliver. The, the one thing I would say, uh, uh, Jody, is that I really believe that there, there should never be, um, I really believe that you can only be an empathetic leader if you are running a high performance company and that the two are not mutually exclusive that they're absolutely unbelievably interrelated that that i think sometimes people uh yeah i i know that when i ran my organization i said you know every presentation i did from the really really early days i used to proudly say that since our inception we've always been profitable we've had no external debt and and because we were a high performance company we were able to to invest in our people and invest in our infrastructure. You know, you can't provide. So, for example, from very, very early days, we had income protection. We provided, uh, you know, we paid for income protection for every person. And and unfortunately, many people, uh, a huge number of people actually had to take advantage of, of that facility. You know, I remember we had one of our staff members was going blind. We had a staff member who committed suicide. And uh, and we were able to provide that that service because we were a high performance company and uh and and i think as i say you know would i go to the extent that elon elon musk get you know either hard, hardcore and high performance personally i think there's a different way to run uh, to to deliver that message but it's hard to argue with the richest guy in the world but yeah i i very much think yeah if, I, if there were leaders that i would aspire to be it would definitely be such an adela at microsoft or bob Iger at, at disney it'll be amazing to see uh yeah, just recently, I think last week, uh, he was brought back to Disney after some poor performance in the organization. And it'll be amazing to see if he's, be, if he's able to make Disney the, the amazing company, the company that he left. Uh, you know, the legacy that he left is, is incredible. And, uh, and hopefully he'll be able to rebuild on, on what he created over the last you know, 17-year tenure. 
You've touched on something that's super important to me, I think important to a lot of listeners, especially in this new environment that we find ourselves in and we're all trying to build high-performing teams. How do you go about balancing building that high-performing culture with empathy? Well, I think it goes back to respecting respecting the person and respecting the role. And unfortunately, sometimes it means that people who aren't performing are letting the rest of the team down. So sometimes you do have to make uh, hard decisions. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think there's nothing better than working in a high-performance team. I think there's nothing better than being, you know, when I sold and then left my company, when people said to me, is there anything that you you miss? I missed being part of part of an amazing an amazing team and an amazing team was amazing people who you know we consistently overachieved for a long period of time and that was you know it was it was awesome to be part of that so I, I think sometimes it does mean that sometimes you know people who aren't delivering for different reasons either that they don't meet their own objectives or maybe they meet their objectives but don't share the values of the organization a good leader will have to make those, you know, make those tough decisions from time to time, and that's. Uh, uh, and I think it's important that people know that that non-performance is is can't be tolerated indefinitely. Because, as I say, to be able to provide the 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 benefits that you need, you have to be able to deliver on the results as well. Yeah, I, I think, you know, 100% agree with you there. The question I have, and I'm not sure if you've got any practical tips, but how do you be empathetic to someone who's not performing? It's a tough one, especially as a leader. How do you go about that? It's, it's just being open and honest about, um, about what is expected and what the potential consequences are going to be if, if those objectives aren't met, aren't met. That I always say nobody likes surprises, and I think if you – if you try and work with that person to educate them to get into a position where they can achieve and do whatever you can, uh, I think it's really important that you say, this is what I need from you within the next three months. If we don't get that, uh, we, we probably might have to make some changes. That if you do have to make the change, it's not a, it's not a massive shock. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think being empathetic is being open and honest. It's, uh, it's not... It's not pussyfooting around those tough decisions, and uh, so that if if you do need to make that decision, you know, trying to work with that person once you do make the decision to help them uh, find a new role or develop the skills that they may need to get a new role in a different company. Uh, I think all those things are are important that they leave the company with dignity. Yeah, great advice. Look, you've got the luxury of sitting across, you know, 30, 40 companies as part of OIF. What are some of the trends you're seeing from a leadership perspective? And is empathetic leadership now, you know, top of mind for a lot of the leaders you work with? Yeah, I think, I think as, as you know, Jodie, what our thematic as a fund is we, we, our thematic is founders. We back people first and then say, tell us what you do. So I, I feel that all of our founders are people that, we want to work with and hopefully that you know it's it's reciprocal they want to work with us i think one of the challenges that some of our founders are because they are empathetic leaders on the whole is is a number of them have had to make some uh changes and and cut you know to extend their runway you know by by cutting staff and uh you know which is is a really challenging you know it's 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 not nobody especially empathetic leader wakes up 
I said, I can't wait to fire, you know, 10 people today. And, uh, you know, the, the, the chats that I've had with some of our founders is, as hard as it is, it's unfortunately we have to let the people that are in the company, uh, are going to remain in the company, uh, feel that the decision is made in the best interest to protect the remaining people uh, in the company, their roles to give the company the best chance of succeeding. And, uh, yeah, it's been a really challenging time for founders. Over the, you know, I think, uh, I, yeah, if you think what founders of your cohort, Jody, have had to go through, I think the companies that emerge are going to be the best leaders or emerge as some of the best leaders this country's seen because not many leaders have, have had to go through a pandemic, go through the absolute toughest time in my career of attracting and engaging staff then being punished for not growing uh, fast enough, now being punished for growing too fast. And so the companies that do come through this are going to be really well-seasoned leaders. And I think, as I say, I think uh, that the, the, the leaders uh, of this generation are going to have, going to have had to have made those tough decisions. And, uh, you know, the best thing that can happen is that someone who does leave your company is willing to still use you as a referee or in the past, you know, the people that unfortunately I had to let go, who to this day might call me for some mentoring or advice, and I take that as a as a huge, huge compliment that someone who, who I've had to ask to leave the company still considers me as a as a mentor. Um, you, you're not wrong in saying the last few years have been tough. T tell me, you, you, surely you don't miss the buzz of being a founder. You wouldn't want to be a founder right now in in this environment, or do you miss it? I I. Uh, yeah, running every business has its challenges. There's no such a thing as a, a stress-free. Uh, and I was just saying to someone uh, earlier today that the the challenge for me as a as a as a venture capitalist is we manage other people's money. And for me, the stress is until I've returned everybody's capital, I don't sleep well at night. But there's a very big difference. Me saying to Jody, I think. Uh, I think you're, you, know, you need to extend your runway by a year. And the, you know, the two ways you can do that is either raise more capital today or you may have to reduce your, your headcount. It's easy for me to say that. It's much harder for you, the person who's actually having to, to, to carry out those actions to do it. And, and uh, you know, I commend founders because it's been, it's been an extremely stressful period from so many different reasons. And... Uh, and uh, and, uh, and I feel, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that I, I'm sitting in the, in the stack where I am and not in the weeds where, where founders are today. Well, I'm, um, I'm grateful. I'm on the other side, but I'm grateful for the support that you've shown us. And I guess my question is, you know, for those listening, David has been incredible for Kate and myself at sending little messages, calling us every now and then just to check in and check on our own well-being and really show empathetic leadership. Is that something that comes naturally to you or is it a conscious decision to think, oh, I should reach out to Jody and, and show a bit of empathy right now? Or is that just, does that just come to you? This is common sense, Jody. I think, yeah, we, we see our, our portfolio companies as our, as our customers and our partners and, uh, and we we want to treat we want to treat them um, accordingly. And to me, yeah, any anyone who doesn't realise how challenging it would be for a family today is 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 being is being silly. And we want to make sure, yeah, in in any way we can, is to be able to provide that pillar of support to our founders. 
And you know, I, I want to maybe just change the tack and tell you why I eventually left my own company, uh, which I had sold. And uh, so we sold it to a, believe it or not, a South African company who I completely, completely coincidentally, and they actually went public in the UK. And uh, in the first half year that they were a public company in the UK, let's say we had three business divisions and we had to do $15 million for the first for the first half. And we bust our butt to deliver that $15 million. And I'm going to make it easy and say, let's say we did $5 million in each of our three business units, which was at, at distribution, training, systems integration. We did the $15 million, but it wasn't the right mix. We were supposed to make $6 million in our integration business and $4 million in our training business. Being a South African company, we got onto a video conference I'm going back to about 2000, and uh, I'll never forget the chairman of the company arrived, always arrived late, which I think is extremely disrespectful uh, in the first in the first instance. And I actually had a lot of our executive leadership team in our board meetings, so I really wanted to build a succession plan. And the chairman literally got onto the um, uh, onto the video conference and and looked at me and said. I'll, I'll, I'll use a bit of public license, but what the hell has happened? Uh, what the hell has happened in the integration business? And had he said, guys, I sincerely appreciate you guys doing whatever you can to make the $15 million. Is there any support we can provide you guys in the integration business? I would not have left the company. But I actually said to him, Jeremy, I'm going to ask everyone in the executive leadership team to leave the room. And, and it was just the two of us that said, Go find yourself a new CEO because I did not like being spoken to like that. And, you know, once again, as I say, I didn't think anybody that I ever worked with would want to be spoken to like that. And that's why I think we, we have a, you know, a, a, as, a, as an organization, I think culture filters from the top down. And, uh, you know, why we try and build out our, our, our organization on, on being an empathetic organization where we, we sincerely care about our founders who we see as our business partners, who are our business partners. What an incredible um, story and thank you for sharing such a personal story and really bringing empathetic leadership to life. And I think, you know, you said it, it comes naturally. Unfortunately, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, hence why we're trying to, you know, talk about empathetic leadership and, you know, let people know how they can go about it and some things to do. So I guess my last question to you is, for those listening that want to do more and be more of an empathetic leader like yourself, but perhaps don't know where to start, what's one piece of advice that you could pass on to them? The cheapest bonus you can ever give is just saying thank you. And I think so often people just forget to say, thank you for delivering this over the weekend or thank you for the extra effort that you made. And I, I really believe that that's, honestly, I, 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 I can't emphasise that enough. People... Yeah, people just want to know that they're not a number in the organization, that, they, that, they're a, that they're a person, an individual, and that they're being respected. And uh, the, the, the two words, thank you, make a massive difference. Well, with that, thank you for not only joining me today, but for being the most incredible mentor, friend, uh, VC partner we could ever ask for. It's an absolute privilege to know you. And uh, on behalf of all of your portfolio companies, 
I think I speak on behalf of all of them for, you know, thanking you for your empathetic leadership and being David because you're one of a kind. So thank you for joining me today. I'll finish off by saying thank you. <laughs> Take thank care. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it as I do always. Love chatting to you and Kate. So thanks for having me. Thanks, David. Take care. Thank you. Have a great day.